In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey everyone, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Podcast. It is September 9th, 2020. And Atlanta United was defeated 2-1 to one by Inter-Miami in Fort Lauderdale. Um, Atlanta United's goal was scored by Eric Rometty in the 33rd minute. But before that, Lewis Morgan scored in the 28th minute. And then again in the 38th minute, there was some controversy uh, a few minutes later that I'm going to talk about, along with many other things, with Jason Longshore of SoccerDownHere.net and 92.9 FM, who is always so gracious to join me for just about every post game for the past few seasons. Jason, how are you? I'm good. That was a uh, frustrating evening. So this team, um, 13 shots, five on target, only one on target in the final 22 minutes when it's chasing a result, and that came from 30-something yards uh, by Emerson Hyman. Um it's a team that tactically, I don't think it knows what it wants to do. I don't know if Glass knows what he can do with this particular roster. It's just, it's another uh, bizarre game. They've only won one of their past eight. Um, what do you make of the state of this team right now? Well, this was a very different game, in my opinion. I mean, like you said, 13 shots, five on target. Those are numbers that are increases over the season average and, and what we've seen lately. The thing that was not different is first goal, first half goals that you concede. Um, teams only conceded 11 goals this season, which looks good on paper because it is good. But eight of them in the first half is really bad because right now the issues that Atlanta has in the attack without Joseph Martinez with Pitti Martinez sold and the compressed schedule that affects the ability to chase games late. It all becomes very, very glaring when you fall behind early. This is not a team right now that can come from behind very well. And it showed, you know, the, we hoped that the match against Orlando would be a boost and, and maybe it was because the first half of this team looked like it had a different level of intensity. It looked like it was working the ball wide far more often than we've seen lately. Jurgen Dom and, and John Gallagher's inclusion into the starting lineup probably had something to do with that. And then you concede one goal off of a very strange breakaway off of your own corner that you're attacking. And then a second one where Brooks Lennon's beat 1v1 on the dribble. Miles Robinson stands up Ben Sweat. Ball deflects, falls back to Sweat. He picks out Morgan, and Morgan hits an absolute colosso. And you can't find it. You have penalty after that. And I know we'll get into it, and we'll get into the details of that one. Um, 
But second half, as the night went on, Miami dropped deeper and deeper, and you had no legs to break them down. Nothing. Yeah, we talked about on your show on Tucker Down Here this morning, I think I said that uh, we, I was asked about the partnership between Walks and Robinson. And I said that, you know, there have been issues, but Atlanta United hasn't been punished in those instances. Um, tonight, they got punished. Uh, it wasn't Robinson and Walks' fault uh, on those goals, though one early should have been uh, when they both misplayed a long ball. Um, it, it, it's a t- I just can't figure out this team. Um, I tweeted well, right now. I think with those two, especially Miles Robinson was laboring in the first half. I was worried that he'd get to halftime at times. Um, you saw some shots of him on the TV broadcast, just mouth wide open, gasping for air as the second half went on. He was better in the second half. I will give him a ton of credit, but he looked uncharacteristically sloppy in the first half. And not the spark that we're used to seeing. I, I thought Walks was was generally good again tonight. He's been good filling in for Fernando Meza. I think he's made that spot his own. Um, I, I don't know if the goals you conceded were down to them. Um, the, the chance that Miami had that they could have put on frame, uh, could have scored with, uh, you could put down to them. But Robinson struggled more than Walks to me in this one. And you know, Glass had mentioned he's been dealing with a bunch of different knocks. He came out in the second half in Orlando. He did not look 100% tonight. Now, the, the first goal, uh, they were upfield because it was a corner kick. Um, the second goal, uh, somebody was supposed to have stepped out on Morgan. I'd, I'd have to watch Lennon. it a couple of Lennon. times. Lennon was, Lennon, Lennon was there. Lennon slid too early. Um, he committed to the tackle way too early. Sweat cut inside. Um, the situation with Morgan, it couldn't have been Robinson because he stood up sweat and made the tackle there, and it kind of bounced off the of sweat and back off of Robinson and back to sweat. Everybody stopped, and then sweat played it to Morgan. Um, I don't, I don't have to go back and see where Walks was on that one, but it, it couldn't have been Robinson stepping to Morgan. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think it was Robinson. Um, so the turning point in the game, though, this was three separate turning points all from the same play. Uh, the first, uh, was the elbow, uh, to, to John Gallagher, um, uh, by, uh, Nicholas Fagal. It was, it seemed you watch the video from whatever angle you want to watch it from. It was an elbow and forearm right into his face. You could see him look over his shoulder to find Gallagher, almost sizing him up. And he just puts it right into his jaw. Stephen Glass said he asked Robert Sabiga about why it wasn't a red card. Sabiga said, I don't think he used his elbow, and I don't think he was aggressive. I don't know. That's, that's an incredibly embarrassing statement for a referee yeah. to make. Yeah. I mean, and there's, as Glass pointed out rightly, and this, this is not, you know, uh, this is just more about refereeing because I've been down on MLS refereeing for quite a few seasons now. Um, and this is just a prime example. You've got four referees on the field and VAR. And no one thinks that's a red card? This is the thing we don't know. And we talked about this on our full-time report on 92.9. We don't know if the AR said that they thought it was a red card. We don't know if the fourth official said that they thought it was a red card. We don't know if Soren Stoika, the VAR, said that he thought it was a red card. It, all we know is Robert Sabiga did not think it was a red card. And we know what he told Stephen Glass, on, at least from Stephen Glass's side. 
Uh, Sabiga makes the final decision. All of them could have said, we think it's a red card. Stoika could have said, I have three angles I want you to look at. None of that matters if Sabiga doesn't want to do it. It's a embarrassing decision for the league for that not to be a red card because it is endangerment of a player's safety. There's no way you can argue it's unintentional. It doesn't matter if it's the elbow or not. There's nothing in the laws of the game about if it's not the elbow that it's okay. I know some people were confused by double jeopardy. It has nothing to do with that because it's not a dog so situation. Um, to say it wasn't, uh, what, forceful? What was the word that, that Sabiga used to glass? Aggressive. Aggressive? Um, mm-hmm. That's a joke. That, that's It's a joke, and, and it's at the point that, you know, the disciplinary committee came back on something that was far less egregious and suspended Franco Escobar. If they don't suspend Figal on this, then they're not doing their jobs. But it doesn't help Atlanta United because what would have helped Atlanta United would have been a red card there, which meant you would have had a man advantage in the second half. There's nothing that gives you that back. And it's just a, a very frustrating situation for a team that could use a break and didn't get what they deserved in that moment. Figal lost his head, looked for Gallagher, found him, connected with him. It's a red card in any league in the world. Yep. Um, I'm hoping to get some clarification on why it wasn't a red card tomorrow. Uh, We'll see if I'm able to get that. Um, And then Barco and Eric Torres step up to take the penalty. Uh, There is – conversation you could say an argument between the two about who's taking it there was a little bit of kind of pushing one kind of pushing the other slightly away uh glass said after the game he wasn't aware of an argument and he may not have been watching he may have been trying to figure out what was going on with the lack of a red card uh barco ends up taking the penalty kick um barco ends up taking the penalty kick uh you could debate the quality of the kick but uh luis robles saved it uh Eric Torres jumps on the loose ball, puts it in. You think Atlanta United has tied the game at two. Hold on. Now Sabiga wants to go use the video system. And Atlanta United player Torres and a Miami player both encroached before Barco kicked the ball. Re-kick. Barco again takes That was handled correctly. That yeah. was 100% yeah. right. Barco again takes a kick, and I don't think I would have taken Barco off the penalty kick at that point. That would have been – I think horrible for his confidence. Um, maybe one later. Yeah, though. it's tough. Um, Barco takes it to the right this time. Robles, when you watch it uh, live, it looks like Robles is off his line. But when you watch it in slow mo, he keeps one foot on the line, which is the rule. Makes yep. the save. I thought this was a better taken penalty than the first one by Barco, but by no means was it a great taken penalty it wasn't a fine save by Robles at Lightning United goes into the half and that's pretty much all that that was the last of the quality opportunities they had to score and this is this is the other odd thing about this whole situation is you want to say Lightning United looked better in the first half yeah okay they look better but they didn't create anything other than uh, Remedi's goal during like live action, everything else was free kicks. Um, and Remedi's goal was Jurgen Dom had to mishit the cross, which he did. And Remedi had to mishit his first shot. J- 
just to get the opportunity at the second. Um, it just, it was, again, just not a good performance uh, all the way around. Barco got the attacking midfielder position. I don't know if he wants it. He, he told me a long time ago he thinks he's better on the left. Um, looked good in spurts, but didn't create any chances tonight. And that's kind of the, that's the number one job of that position is to create chances. Um, it's just an odd, odd team right now. You can't fall behind in games. I mean, I, there's just so many different elements to it, but this team is not one that is producing a ton of chances right now. Um, when you make the decision on Pitti Martinez and sell him, he was responsible at that time when he was sold for about a third of your shot creating actions in a match in, in every 90 minutes. Um, he was responsible for about a third and you lose that and you're struggling to make up for it. And Ezekiel Barco now is the guy on this team. He has not been in the past. He's never been. You know, when he first arrived, it was he deferred to Miguel Almiron. Uh, Joseph Martinez, always a major figure. Uh, not here. Pitti Martinez, not here anymore. You know, Tito Vialba was a player who saw a lot of the ball in the final third during Barco's time here. Not here anymore. Barco's got to deal with that pressure and want the ball a little bit more. Also, I mean, it's a story that we talk about a lot. I mean, it doesn't really matter at this point because nothing's changed, but Barco was fouled five or six times tonight. Um, I know it was at five at one point. It might have got to six. Uh, he's the most fouled player in MLS by a pretty large margin, and he's played a whole lot less minutes than Rodolfo Pizarro. Um, at least tonight you were drawing some fouls in more dangerous positions, but Atlanta United's been fouled 83 times in the last four games. It's an absurd number. You know, you're being fouled a lot, and tonight there were three yellows on 21 fouls. That's the strategy. If you're playing Atlanta United, the strategy right now is to break the rhythm, foul, force the referee into decisions to give cards for persistent infringement. If they do, then you have to back off and play differently. If they don't, you keep fouling. And it frustrates Barco. It frustrates Atlanta players. It's easy to, t to say, you know, put your head down and keep playing through it. It does affect it. And it's something that at this point, it, it doesn't look like it's going to change. So you have to find other ways to be dangerous. And it's tough. It's really tough missing the figures that you're missing in this team right now and giving up first half goals. It is the worst combination for this team at the moment. Uh, I'm just, I'll be honest with you. The, I just have gotten to the point where the number of times Barco is getting fouled is just, I don't really care about it anymore. Um, I, That's a shame. He, it's a big deal. It's an important I, I just, thing. I, well, it's, I don't know why it's important. But there, there has to be a causation to this, and I don't know what the causation is. All I know is that I think that he gets fouled so much because he holds on to the ball too long. Um, Stephen Glass keeps talking about, I want the ball to move faster. I want the ball to move faster. And that's why Atlanta United players get fouled a lot, I think, because they hold on to the ball too much. Um, they don't move it as quickly as – Barkin's getting fouled when he's beating people on the dribble. It's a different story. Eh. 
I'd have to go back and look at how many times he's actually beat people on the dribble. I know that when he gets the ball in space, he runs he it. He did a lot tonight. Go back. He, and, he did have that awesome spin. No, he did a lot tonight. That, that, that was an awesome play. But, uh, I mean, at some point you got to trade. One time he wasn't fouled. He actually got away from people. Yeah. you, you got to trade fouls for chances created, shots on goal, something. Um, that actually helped to win games. No, I agree. Don't, right don't get now, me wrong. This isn't winning games. Don't. Don't get me wrong. I, I I agree. The ball has to move faster. Um, I think tonight that had nothing to do with Barco being fouled a lot. I think it's an, an obvious well, – I mean, Miami fouls the most in the league. So, I mean, it's nothing new. It, it's the way that they play. And when you give them early goals, it just makes the game a whole lot easier for teams like that. And and that's, that's what it comes back to for me is you can't give up these early goals. You're not going to score as much right now. To expect Atlanta United to score like they did in the past, it's not going to happen. This is the first extended period of time you're playing without Joseph Martinez. It shows. If anything, it shows how valuable he is. I thought they'd find a way to be more dangerous without him. was wrong. It's very difficult for this team at the moment. You take pity out of it as well, and now it's even harder. Players have to step up. Barco's one of them. Jurgen Dom, you want him to get to where he can play 90. He went over 60 tonight. Was good for – over half of that, I would say. Um, Kubo Torres, you want him to continue to knock the rust off. Feels like his touch is coming back, but it's not where it needs to be. You've got to find more ways to be dangerous. Gallagher was lively. Um, I don't know if he was the same after the, the shot to the face. Um, when you're not scoring very well, the, the defensive mistakes become more glaring. And that's that's just what it feels like right now for me is – you've got to be almost perfect defensively to get results at the moment because the goals are hard to come by. The um, Jurgen Dom created two chances uh, tonight. Um, never really got a chance to kind of stretch his legs and, and beat anybody uh, because there weren't any passes played down his side, any, any long passes. Part of that was Miami's tactics. Part of that was Atlanta United's tactics. It's just uh, – you know, I tweeted, if you had to pick a lineup tomorrow of all healthy players other than Joseph Martinez to get three points against a, a quality team, could you pick a lineup that you'd be confident is going to get three points? I could pick the best lineup that I think this team has at the moment. Right, and... I'd be confident it would get three points. Well, I mean, Doug, what do you want? Like, the team's missing a lot of pieces right now. They're not playing well. I mean, should they just give it up? Like, you have to pick the best lineup you can play, and it would be Bello. It would be, for me, Walt. I think he's been outstanding, probably the most mm-hmm. consistent player next to Lennon this season. Mm-hmm. Bello walks Robinson, uh, Lennon at right back. Lorenowitz says you're holding midfielder. Um, this is where it's tough because I don't know if between Remedi, Heinemann, and Hosetu, anybody's really pulled ahead. In that battle, you got to play two of them there if you want to play Barco on the left. If you want to play Barco centrally and you want to play Lorena with, with somebody, I would pair him with Renetti. Uh, Dom on the right and Kubo Torres up top. That's the best lineup you can field at the moment. I guess I'm just wondering because the team has consistently over the years kind of bragged about its depth, its depth, its depth, its depth. And yet it, it's just it doesn't appear to have quality depth. Um, so, you know, the team can't talk about it on one hand, but then say that there's not any on the other. 
Um, it's just, again, a weird season. Now, um, I think Atlanta United is in eighth in the East, I believe, after tonight's results. Eighth with 11 points. Two ahead of Nashville, uh, which is Saturday's opponent. Um, two ahead of Cincinnati, which we don't know if they're going to play, but I assume they will. Whenever Major League Soccer announces the remainder of the schedule, uh, which doesn't appear like it's going to happen by the end of this week, which is strange. Uh, it's only three points ahead of Inter-Miami right now and Chicago Fire, which is last in 14th. Uh, this is going to be a struggle, I think, for this team for a whole lot of reasons to try to finish as one of the top 10 teams and make the playoffs. But, Jason, what do you have coming up uh, tomorrow? Got overreaction Thursday on Soccer Down Here. Uh, we're on at 9 a.m. Um, go to about 11. And we'll take all of the comments about Atlanta United and the game tonight. Um, got another show on Friday, and you'll be joining us Friday morning, hopefully. I hope so. Okay, 10.30. <laughs> All right. And, uh, again, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Uh, Atlanta United loses to enter Miami 2-1. to one. Uh, The Five Stripes have won just one of their past eight games in the league, one of their past nine across all competitions. Uh, the one game they won, they actually scored in the first half. Uh, tonight was the exception to that, uh, but they were also already down by a goal when that happened. Uh, you can find this podcast, obviously, on iTunes and Spreaker. My game story is up. Uh, the What They Said is already up, and I'll have a couple more things tomorrow about this game as Atlanta United begins preparing for Nashville on Saturday. I appreciate it, Jason. Uh, please be safe driving home, and I'll talk to you later. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.